welcome to the podcast M&A War Stories. You're joined by your hosts, Robert Heaton and Toby Tester. Each week, we walk through our experiences of M&A projects where we've been involved and we unpack the good, the bad, and the ugly. Our purpose is simply to leave you with valuable lessons that you can use in your M&A projects. So let's not waste any more time and get this podcast underway. Hey, Toby, it's just one day before the long Easter weekend. How are you doing in Sydney? Well, great, Robert. I should say that it is not rainy. It is brilliantly sunny, and um, it's been sunny for quite a few days. Actually, what does, which I really like, it rains at night time. So when it does rain, and it's at night, and then the days are sunny. I think, how good is that? You know? That is perfect. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, of course, given, given the rain that Sydney experienced just a week or so ago, that is definitely good news. <laughs> I tell you what, I, I'm just glad all that's over. Wow. Yeah, that was, that was incredible. <laughs> so much rain. It just rained continuously for a week, and you just don't get that. Usually it rains, and then it stops, and then it starts again. But it just rained continuously, just did not stop. I mean, it was like water on the brain after a while. Yeah, I know. I was was watching it from here, and we we got some of it dumped on Melbourne as well. So, yeah, there you go. Now, um, it's usually me that's having a rant about something. Yeah, I I got a bit of a rant. You're going to have a rant today about integration in M&A is the enemy of innovation. Correct. Uh, that's, that's a fascinating topic. Yeah. I, I had a conversation earlier today around motivational leaders, inspirational leaders, okay. and, it, and it triggered my thoughts off, and I wouldn't mind having a chat to you about that. Okay. And then we can close off. I've got three of Les Heyman's yeah. uh, quotes. Good. So... Shall I kick off with, with my bit and then you lead into your yeah, innovation? Yeah, by all means. Or, by all means. Yeah. So I was talking to Dale Stevens today, and, and she's a, a former actress but works in the corporate sector now, and we mm. were talking about motivational or inspirational leaders. Mm. And she defines an inspirational leader as somebody who not only makes you feel good about yourself, mm but also inspires you to action. Mm, right? Sounds good, And, yeah. uh, and if, they, if you're not inspired to action, then, then that's not really the value of motivating people. And, and it got me thinking because I've come across various people in my career that you might call inspirational leaders, but some of them, when I think about them getting involved in M&A, I think, my God, you know, if you'd let that person loose at an yeah, M&A, yeah, yeah. they'd destroy it. Yeah. And then I can see other people that I've known, again, inspirational leaders, and, and you think, well, yeah, if that guy was actually heading up uh, a merger or an acquisition, the value would go through the roof. Because came out of it was that inspirational leaders is one of those hard things to define because it's different in different people. Mm. And I, 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 was, I was wondering what your thoughts were. I've seen leadership operate in many different ways. And I mean, and obviously leadership is so critical because ultimately a failure in M&A is a failure in leadership. So yeah. it, it, it is that. I tend to think about leadership, Robert, in more in terms of the outcomes or, or trying to achieve. And I think there's just a few fundamentals one is clear direction that you know where you're going. 
yeah. that you're and people are empowered because ultimately if you're not empowered without direction that's anarchy and that's the reason why potentially yeah. you you've got to have that empowerment direction and then really it comes down to that fundamental thing called accountability yeah. and it's the way you go about enforcing or not so much enforcing but making accountability in a way that people want to take it on it's not thrust upon them they take it upon themselves to become accountable and i think yeah. that's the mark of true leadership yeah I, w- I would agree and as you might imagine in this conversation earlier today i i brought up the image of of les Heyman. he he was inspirational as a leader and all those things you've just mentioned, right? Yep. Les would give you authority to act. Yep. He would give you as much rope as you needed to go and stretch yourself. Yep. But he also held you accountable. Mm. Mm. Right. And but he but he gave you the courage to be accountable. Yes. And and, and the other thing was that if you stretched yourself and you tried to do something outside of your capability, and let's mm. just say it failed. Mm. Yes, you would be accountable for that, but Les would cover you. He would support you and back you mm. and take the hit himself yep. if necessary mm. because ultimately he was the one that had inspired you to do that. Yes, yes. That's that's part of the culture of an organization. Yes. And one of the, you know if if I can use Les as being that example of someone that I admire mm. by the same token I've also seen CEOs and business leaders who are seen as inspirational but they're bloody dangerous. <laughs> because they're inspirational in the sense that they are excessively risk takers. Yeah, and that, that's that's a problem because ultimately M and A is risk management, and it's, it's a risk management exercise. And yeah. where you take risks, you're often taking smaller, irrevocable type risks. What you don't do is you don't bet the whole bank. And this is where M and A in actual can actually fail is when you're actually betting the bank. And then you really are going into sort of like this casino type business whereby you're betting everything on a win and it shouldn't be like that. Yes, there are risks, but you take them. There's small risk or there's manageable risks and you accept the potential that those risks might actually come to fruition. And so it's understanding that notion of risk and risk management is absolutely key in leadership and in M&A. And it also occurs to me that you've got to have the yin-yang type approach. So mm. I, I remember with Les and our CFO worked exceptionally well as a team. Mm. And Les would sometimes get excited about something and go off on a tangent somewhere. And the value of the CFO was that he had enough rope around Les to be able to just pull him back and go, slow down, boy, easy. Mm, you know, yeah, not yeah. not so quick, and they they checked and balanced each other. Yeah. So when you get it, and and I think back to my experience in the late eighties of a particular charismatic and inspirational chairman of what was essentially an equity group. Mm. Right? He did exactly what you just said. He made acquisition after acquisition. They were all successful. He got too big for his boots. 
they've grown the business to something like $2.3 billion business. And then he decided he was going to make a $3 billion acquisition. Mm. And it fell flat on its face and destroyed the entire group. Look, I have to be honest, uh, Rob, I, I've worked on um, many successful acquisitions. I dare I say I have worked on a few that actually were not successful in the end for a variety of reasons, but ultimately it came down to not the right acquisition to make, taking on too much risk. And yeah. quite often in the case, the leadership was either not there at all or was simply taking the organization in the wrong direction. And the other thing I just wanted to finish off on in terms of going back to this point of inspirational leaders is that each person's different. Mm. But if you've got an inspirational leader, that's good. But if that inspiration can't be filtered or communicated across the entire organization, mm-hmm. then it's then it's a, a lost cause. So I've I've seen inspirational leaders. And they can get all of their direct reports fired up on something. Yeah. Yep. But immediately under that level, it's it's as flat as the pancake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. It's like a black hole, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and what we talked about today with Dale, and, and again I'm gonna go back to Les. Les was inspirational as a leader. Yes, he could talk to the entire business. But he also inspired people like myself and some of our my other colleagues that I worked with at that time. We essentially became his messengers. Mm. So he inspired us to inspire others. Indeed. And that was how he cascaded. Well, sometimes the point of leadership is not to create followers, but to actually create more leaders. So yeah. it's a way of getting people to act and behave in a certain way as leaders. They often say a great followers are also great leaders. Yeah, that's a good quote to finish on, actually. And, and I think that's the point that I want to leave with is inspirational leaders can be very valuable to M&A, providing that they equally are not heavy risk takers. Mm. And secondly, that they've got the ability to inspire others to act and that it's pervasive through the business, not mm. just at one particular audience or one mm. one part of the business but yeah from a from a conversation that started out with well inspirational leaders can be brilliant to any business we actually mm. concluded that well no in some cases they're not mm. that's right they, they can be destructive indeed, business. indeed. If, and, and and the other thing that dale mentioned was that ideally in inspirational leaders ego is absent Correct, yeah. Right, and that's another key point about it. The minute you get inspiration and ego together, you've got danger. Anyway, that's that's my chat about inspirational leaders. I just it just got me thinking today and and thought, yeah, we might we might even revisit this later yeah, on down no, the track. It's, but, it's it's certainly an interesting topic yeah. and not to underestimate just how important leadership is, certainly in the um, successful M and A process. Yeah. Now, you want to have a rant about integration is the enemy of innovation. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to start my rant. So, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Q rant. <laughs> Q rant. Now, we have been speaking, Robert, the last few weeks about surveys of deal success. We have yep. talked about M&A trends, so on, so yep. on, so forth. Yep. One of the overriding factors, and this is one of the big things about M&A now and also into the future, is that 
it's all about seeking revenue growth as opposed to cost reduction. So often, when you take you go about 20 years or so or the past decade oh. or thing, it's always been cost consolidation, saving yep. money, and the therefore itself. boosting yep. profit that way. Not yep. so these days. These days, it is about predominantly seeking revenue growth. Yep. And so if you are going for a deal and you are going for revenue growth, then you are in a danger whereby if you start going doing the integration process, that in itself can be a danger. And I'll explain why. Because integration is predominantly a modus operandi and a way of looking at things where you are actually consolidating back office, uh, yeah. back office functions, which are critical, but they're all about efficiency, saving money. And there's a natural pursuit of those. And I understand it because that goes straight to the bottom line, straight to the EBITDA, and also they're quickly to achieve. But they also take your focus about the real purpose of what it is you're doing, and that is revenue. And when I say revenue, I mean product, I mean channel, I mean customer engagement, I mean service, I mean brand. All those things need that vital attention right up front. So you could find yourself going through doing what you think is integration, back office consolidation, bringing um, assets together, people together, functions together, systems together, and then not thinking about product, product performance, service, channel, market, brand, customer service. Need I go on? And if you start forgetting about those or if you're not, your attention's not there, you are not going down the revenue generation path. I am with you 100% because for me, you can break acquisition integration into two parts, if you like. The, the back office stuff you've talked about, like bringing finance systems together and common IT systems and the efficiencies of uh, you know bringing the two organization structures together. But they are the lesser part, in my view, of an M&A integration. Ideally, and I, I'm actually really on track with the idea that acquisition should be about growth. And so right from due diligence onwards, you should have a, a vision as to why you're doing this dumb thing. Well, exactly. The reason why, to be honest, uh, Rob, is that we often go down the cost consolidation path, back office, the natural thing, because it's simply easy to do. And, and it's, obviously seeking revenue can be bloody hard. But that's the reason yeah. why you do it, because it is hard. You've got to go down that path because that's where the real reward is. That's where you're going to get the supreme return on investment and the value that you're looking from a deal. So you've yep. got to attack it by the jugular and go for it. There's ways and means you can do this. But don't go down the path of just simply cost consolidation, back yep. office, doing all that work and thinking you've done the job. When actually, fact, the real value in the business is still waiting to be realized. Now, I'm actually going to take this conversation a bit further than that as well, because I'd be interested what your thoughts are. So on the revenue-generating side, in my opinion, this is, there's a very easy path you can follow there as well. A lot of companies do. They go, oh, right, okay, so we've now got company A and company B, so we'll all run out and we'll sell company B's product to company A's customers, and we'll say company A's product to company B's customers. Bingo, there you go, we've, we've driven more revenue. And that can be relatively straightforward and easy to drive and achieve. But I think one of the points you were pointing at is 
that still loses the innovation track. Oh, yeah, I know what you're saying uh, there, Robert, and that's a sort of slightly myopic way of seeing it. For a start, the customer is decides whether they actually want to be cross-sold anyway. The yep. customer ultimately is the final arbiter of success. So it's actually understanding what the customer wants and needs and what they're after. So simply just cross-selling one to the other or one over there is not really going to do it. And I think we have to think much more in terms of what are the needs and wants of the customer, what would they love yep. to see, understanding their motivations in terms of um, yep. buying and actually meeting what their needs might be through better product. And so, yes, you know, yes. that, that's that's the path you follow. Not It's not a cross-selling. That's okay. sure. By all means, that happens. That happens mm-hmm. afterwards. But ultimately, you're taking a much more product-led approach to this. I, I, I agree. Uh, you know, and the cross-sell, upsell is, again, it's it's the same as back office. You you do it, and it, there's a well-worn path for doing that. And it's, Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You know, yes. And everybody goes, do look at that. We've sold 2 million more widgets than we did last time. Yeah. But yeah. innovation I, is basically changing the customer experience. It's actually yes. changing the way we engage. It's often to do with the product platform or the product performance. So these are the areas yeah. of innovation. It. It's not just a case of selling this lot of product over this bunch of customers and vice versa. Well, I, and I, I often say you've made an acquisition and you need to be able to sit back and go, hold on a second. They've got a left-handed twirler, and we've got green fufu valves. And if we actually put the fufu valves and the left-handed twirlers together, we could create a brilliant new product yeah. that takes the customer experience to the next level. Yeah, and it's about seeing the value of bringing those two IPs together and creating something new mm. that drives significant competitive advantage in the marketplace. Mm. In, and that's one one example. The other, yeah. of course, is that you can often, looking at the product uh, capabilities, start to see new markets and new industries mm. that you can drive into. Indeed. Right? Indeed. I, I think that's what you're referring to. That's the sort of innovative thinking. Yep. Probably early on in the in in the process, you do. And, and innovation is nothing. There's nothing very fancy about innovation. It's really just giving people voice the opportunity to see doing things in different ways and uh, it it comes down to the way your business is structured the way you operate and improving your operations improving your business model and looking at what the customer is and uh, finding different ways of doing things i and i would say also there's a behavioral mindset so going back to your back office example i class that as Technical, operational, right? Mm. You, you get number one and number two, and you bolt them together, and you get three and four, and you bolt them together, and it's a well-worn process, and it's a well-worn path, and that's all you're doing. You're operationally bolting things together. When you get into the realm of the areas you're talking about, it's creative, right? Yep. You need people that can look at two products and see the potential that can come out of it yep. and have that creative flair to be able to see that and act on it. Correct. I think that's what you're saying. Yeah. 
Now, I want to say that innovation is not, I say it's creative, but it's actually a, a, a well-tried management discipline or oh, yeah. set of disciplines. And yeah. there are a variety of innovation methods which are pretty straightforward, nothing special, nothing standard, that help you go through and analyze and uh, develop new ways of working. And yeah. ultimately, it comes down to someone to drive that, and that someone would be a leader who knows and understands that innovative process that you'd follow yep. i'm not going to go into the innovation process right here in this we haven't got time but there is ways and means that it is actually quite disciplined it's a highly disciplined way of working yeah i i, I would agree with you it's that not, i think it's not it's not fancy it's not, it's no, not even no. that creative no it's a it's quite a disciplined way of working if, if anybody listening to this wants to argue or disagree with us get in touch on linkedin or give us okay. a call because I, I would tend to agree with you, Toby. I think yeah. that uh, innovation element tends to be left behind a little bit. In, mm. As you said, the, everybody runs in and off they go towards the cost reduction, bringing yeah. the two organizations together. When really, well, yeah, well, if you do that, you're just nickel, nickel and diming the whole exercise. Well, as far it's, as I'm it's, it's a quick win, isn't it? You can, yeah, you I can, mean, to be honest, there's not much to be saved these days, seriously, with so much going on in terms of how cheap technology is, in terms of buying tools and technology and integrating oh, them together. Come on, come on, if you've got two, two, two switchboard operators and you only need one, that's at least $37,000 saving. Yeah, I know, man. <laughs> I know, but if you can in introduce your product, for example, for a whole new geography exactly. or essentially get a whole new a customer demographic who'd be interested in your product, this is where the big wins are. Yeah. Now, I might, I, I did some podcast recording last week with Kitty Williams, and there's a couple of pre recorded podcasts on there. I might think about just putting one of them in on this topic. Okay. Daniel was talking about when to get advice in terms of restructuring a business on M&A. And we'll see if it fits in. If it doesn't, I won't put it in, but I'll see how that goes. But I've also got my usual finish point, which is three great quotes from Les Heyman. Right. And uh, I thought I, I, the more I keep looking at them, every one of them is, is, has got deep meaning in it. <laughs> um, so if you're ready I'll just go through the yeah go for it right so instill an understanding in your people that competitiveness is external and collaboration is internal right, right. and it's a, it's a good one right you, you don't want internal competitiveness no that's disruptive it's interesting you say that. I've actually seen that actually competitors actually being used deliberately as a strategy in an organization. Oh, so have I. So have I. Many times. Business units fighting against each other. It's a sort of, it's a kind of a Darwinian way of working, to be honest, whereby you yeah. know, the, the companies are working on a profit and loss perspective I, and actually I, competing with each other in terms of achieving supremacy. Yeah. And, and we won't go into this okay. in this bit, but... When that happens, the customer loses out. Yeah. Well, that depends. That assumes, of course, we're talking about the same customer, not different customer groups. But, yeah, I know what you yeah. mean. Now, the next one is actually very relevant to a lot of stuff that's going around in the news at the moment. And I'll just read it out. Gender, race, religion, 
and sexual orientation never business decision criteria for anything. Period. Mm. And you start to bring any of those elements into a business decision, you you're going backwards. It's interesting. We should take that out of all decisions, quite frankly. Because yes. uh, I don't want to draw tr- a larger topic here, to be honest, beyond MA, but it all comes down to identity. And I think identity politics, what no matter what shape or form, I think is not always positive. No. So I think we should identify ourselves as human beings, I think, and just keep it at that. Yep. No, I, I just thought that one was very relevant to now. And the last one, actually, yep. is, again, it's one of Leslie's, but it also, remember me talking about the chairman of Dunlop, Sir Michael Edwards, and he always yep. said, he always said, when you've made a decision to act, act swiftly, but act with fairness. Yep. And in a similar vein, the third quote from Les is, being fair is far more important than being tough. Yep. And again, very sort of sagely type of advice. Mm. You can be tough, but you can lose out on the benefits of something. Yeah. Because if yep. you approach something with a degree of fairness, uh, you're more likely to get a more positive outcome. Yeah, I often think of that as being like it's whether you lead with a carrot or a stick. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, exactly. Uh, I think it's always better to lead with a uh, carrot. Yep, I would agree. The That's stick should be stick should be hidden. They know it exists, but it should not be seen. <laughs> well, I'll go back to Les again. He had a big stick, right? Mm. He didn't have to bring it out. All, all he had to do was remind you that it was in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> and and that was sufficient. It reminds me of uh, a quote by uh, Theodore Roosevelt on foreign policy. He said, speak softly and carry a big stick and you will go far. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. So on that note... Let's call it a wrap. I think okay. that's been a, another great conversation. I love the rant about innovation as well. That's uh, that's one that I think a lot of people should sit up and think about. Integration um, is the enemy of innovation. Yeah, no, I think that's a good one. So we'll call that a wrap. Of course, okay. we will be back next week with another podcast from MA Stories. And all that leaves for now is for myself to say bye for now and from Toby Testa goodbye